Hello, and welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe God works through people every day to help us. These people are selfless and so very humble. The majority of us don't even know they exist or existed. My name is Angel, and each podcast I will showcase one of these amazing people. Their stories will uplift, inspire, encourage, support, heal, and give you hope. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. If you're new to the show, thanks for tuning in. And if you're returning, thank you so much for returning. This week, I'm going to share with you a little bit about Padre Pio, also known as Saint Padre Pio. Padre Pio is the first recognized saint that we will be talking about on the show. And I say that because I believe that everybody that we have talked about on the show and everybody we will talk about on the show are saints in their own way, shape, and form. So by referring to Padre Pio as a saint, I'm not taking away from anyone that we previously talked about or anyone that we will talk about. Each of them are equally important and have done many amazing things for many, many people. So before he was Padre Pio or Saint Padre Pio, his name was Francesco Forgione, and he was born May 25, 1887, in Pietrelcina, Italy. He died on September 23rd in 1968 at San Giovanni Rotondo and was canonized by Pope John Paul II, who's also now a saint. So I should say Saint Pope John Paul II. He was canonized on June 16th, 2002. Padre Pio's mother and father were very devout Roman Catholics. They were illiterate, but they had memorized the Bible. I guess someone had read it to them and they had memorized it word for word. So, of course, they passed this on to Padre Pio at a very young age. Um, he was known to see, literally see, Jesus and his um, guardian angel at the age of five, as young as the age of five. So I guess I should put a note of warning here. Before we go any further, uh, in that Padre Pio's story is going to sound quite fantastical, made up, illusion, um, not truth. However, it is historically documented on many levels, and not just by the church, but uh, with many other organizations and people and government and all that as well, to confirm the trueness of his story. It's just that over the years, we've come to live in a world that no longer believes in the extraordinary or supernatural, where once upon a time, it was commonplace and everyone believed in it. Um, so again, just something to keep in mind as we go. So again, at the age of five, Padre Pio would have everyday conversations with Jesus he would also have everyday conversations with his guardian angel. And he was very well known for sending his guardian angel away. And what I mean by sending his guardian angel away, he would send his guardian angel to go help other people. Um, Padre Pio was known as what they call a suffering soul. He was a person that believed he should suffer 
and that his suffering would help others with their suffering. Um, you know, it's all part of that walking with and walking like Jesus. So, you know, Jesus suffered for us, for our sins, to absolve us from our sins and and all of that. So Padre Pio was doing that as well. And it wasn't an arrogance by any means by saying, by me doing this, I'm like Jesus or better than Jesus. On the contrary, he did it all in private. And very few people knew about it at first. And it wasn't until the stigmatas appeared, which we'll get into in a moment, that kind of made it more of a public display, um, not by his choice. So again, at a very young age, he was very committed to his faith. And at the age of 15, he joined the Capuchin order and took the name Pio in honor of St. Pius I. So Pio is Italian for pious. In 1910, uh, the year in which he became a priest, he received the stigmata, which is the bodily marks corresponding to the wounds suffered by Christ when he was crucified. And that was the first time that those marks showed up on him, uh, but they eventually healed. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't just that these marks showed up on him. They actually bled and they were extremely painful. So there was a lot of pain and suffering that went with these with this stigmata every time it appeared on him. In 1915, Padre Pio was drafted into the Italian military for medical service during World War One but was shortly discharged because of his poor health. He constantly had poor health. Even as a young child growing up, there was always something, there was always suffering going on. Again, him being a suffering soul, he was always going through and experiencing some kind of illness or some kind of pain. So in 1918, Padre Pio received the stigmata again, and it stayed with him until his death in September 23rd, 1968. Um, there were many signs of him being a holy person or a saint um, other than the stigmata. Uh, he was very well known to bilocate, which means to be in two or more places at one time. Uh, he also had an amazing gift of healing, which I'll share a story here in a little bit. Um, and once his stigmata came and started becoming um well-known, as well as his healing abilities, people really started to pour in by the numbers um, on going on pilgrimages to, to visit him and to see him, to be healed by him um, at San Giovanni Rotunda. So the first of two stories I want to share with you, and again, disclaimer, this could be considered fantastical. However, this has been historically proven and documented by several sources to be true. Uh, this was during World War II, um, the Allies, which were the British and Americans, uh, had intelligence reported to them that the Germans were storing munitions in the San Giovanni Rotundo, and the order was given for it to be bombed. And, of course, there was no notice given to the friars, and co you know, especially Padre Pio, who was there with the friars at the time, too. He was one of them. Uh, nothing was told to them that this was going to happen or when it was going to happen. So the Allies got in their bombers and got ready to go and took off on September 8th, 1943 to uh, carry out this mission. So the soldiers and troops that were on these bombers 
were of various nationalities and religions. They weren't all the same religion or of the same nationality. Now keep this in mind as we go. So they're flying their bombers to bomb the Rotundo. And as they start to get to where they're going to drop the bombs, they see what they call a monk flying up towards them, waving them off. He didn't actually make like direct contact. He was flying up towards them and was waving them off. Well, as these bombers were and these pilots were in the crew were seeing this and trying to decide what was going on in their minds or, you know, figure this out, their planes automatically started to turn and go off course and go away from the rotundo. And no matter how hard they tried, they could not get the planes to come back on course to fly over to finish the mission. So the bombers turned and went back home and reported it to their superiors, to which their superiors were like, you guys are crazy. You need to, this needs to be carried out. So they chose another group of airmen and bombers and sent them to go carry out the mission. So again, here they're coming up on their target and here comes this monk or friar because he was technically a friar come flying up to wave them off. And once again, their planes start to go off course and they're trying like mad to get the planes to go back on course and have no success and end up going back home again to report that they weren't able to carry out the mission. And again, why? And please note that it wasn't just like the pilot and co-pilot that seemed just like the entire crew on all of these bombers witnessed this every time. So there were so many witnesses um, that actually witnessed this happening. So this time when the crew got back again, you know, now words getting all the way up to a general uh, Bernardo Rossini, who was with the Italian air force. It's getting back to him that, you know, his crew members and the allied forces are seeing this monk in the sky and he's waving off the planes and the planes aren't able to stay on course and drop their bombs. You know, it says here that many laughed in disbelief at these stories, but due to the repeated occurrence of the episodes and always with different pilots, the general decided to intervene personally. He took command of a squadron of bombers to destroy what they believed was the German ammunition depot that was supposedly in San Giovanni Rotundo. So what happened to the general's mission and his flight? Well, as they get closer to the target, they see the monk again come flying up into the sky, waving his hands at them. Uh, but this time, what happened was they went ahead and tried to deploy the bombs, and the bombs would not deploy. They kept trying to make them. These are several bombers, not just one. They gave the orders to. The bombs would not deploy, and once again, the planes turned and went off course. This time he allowed them to fly over, but the bombs would not drop on the rotundo and the planes diverted 
on their own or by <laughs> or by his his divine intervention and and they weren't able to complete the mission so i guess intelligence finally got around to telling the general and the allies a little bit more information about san giovanni rotondo and that you know they started talking about this friar padre pio who had the stigmata um, again, they didn't have pictures of him or anything like that, so they didn't know who who he was. But again, this was just speculation. So at that point, the missions to go and bomb the rotundo it was stopped. It was it wasn't done anymore. But everybody that witnessed it and was involved in it made mental notes, m- mentally and verbally, to each other that as soon as they got the opportunity, they were going to go there physically and check it out. So when the war had ended, the general and a group of the the airmen and troops that were in the bombers all got together and they went to San Giovanni Rotundo. Um, now, again, remember, they had not seen any images of Padre Pio, didn't really know who he was other than, you know, what the intelligence officers had told them, you know, a little bit of information. Um, so they get to San Giovanni Rotundo. And they walk in, and there's a group of capuchin capuchin friars that are there, and standing there. And they look, and they see Padre Pio, and they instantly recognize him as the monk that was flying up to them and, and stopping them from doing their bombing. But before they could say anything to them, Padre Pio walks up to the general and puts his hand on the general's shoulder and says, so it was you who wanted to kill us all. And the general, they said, dropped to his knees at that moment. And the thing was, is Padre Pio was speaking in his native dialect, which was Benevento dialect. And it wasn't the same dialect as the general. But when he talked to him and said those words, the general heard them in English. So, again, this was witnessed by tons of people. And I'll include a link to this article in the show notes. And when you go and click on it, you'll see that there is a picture of Padre Pio with these soldiers and and with the general. It's, It's really, really cool. So before we begin the next story, I just want to share that, you know, Saints in the Catholic faith are known for different things. They help with different things. You don't worship them. You pray to them, and they, they help you. Um, the thing Padre Pio, St. Padre Pio, is, is known for is, um, is for helping people who are suffering. He helps with healing. He helps with pain, and he also helps with worry. So if you are going through any of those, which we all are going through that, to some extent, especially the worry and the suffering. And we all need healing, and we're all in pain to some degree. Padre Pio is a great saint to um, pray to for for help, for healing. And I will include um, a few links in the show notes so you can find out more information on prayers as far as praying to Padre Pio if you would like. Okay, so the second story is a healing story, which is pretty remarkable. And this one, again, very well documented historically, also very well documented by doctors as well. 
Um, again, you know, we had just spoken about that, you know, Padre Pio, one of his aspects or things that he does is healing. And, and he did do a lot of healing when he was, you know, walking among us. So it says here, among the many miracles of healing attributed to Padre Pio, some are so unusual and unique that they have been the subject of much discussion and controversy. In these particular cases, the person who has been healed lives a completely normal life afterward, even though they continue to have all the physical symptoms of their illness. From a scientific viewpoint, they are still sick. One such person is Gemma D. Giorgi. Now, again, disclaimer, <laughs> fantastical. But again, keep in mind, these these things have been very well documented. And again, I'm not selling you a used car. I'm just giving you the facts as they are. So here we have uh, little Gemma. Gemma was born on Christmas Day in 1939 in a Sicilian town of Ribera. Almost immediately, her mother realized that Gemma's eyes were different from other children's eyes. The truth was Gemma was blind. Her mother took her to a doctor who was unable to determine the gravity of her condition. She was referred to two specialists in Palermo. They determined that Gemma had no pupils in her eyes, that nothing could be done with her blindness, and that her condition was inoperable. Gemma's family was desperate, but there was nothing they could do. Her parents often took her to... Mary's altar in the church to pray because they felt it would take a miracle to heal her eyes. A relative who was a nun advised the family to seek out Padre Pio. Her advice gave the family a ray of hope. Gemma's grandmother asked the nun to write a letter to Padre Pio on Gemma's behalf. When the nun returned to her convent, she wrote to Padre Pio asking him to pray for Gemma. One night the nun saw him in a dream. Padre Pio asked her, where is this Gemma for whom so many prayers are being offered that they are almost deafening? In her dream, she introduced Gemma to Padre Pio, and he made the sign of the cross over her eyes. The next day, the nun received a letter from Padre, Padre Pio in which he wrote, Dear daughter, rest assured that I will pray for Gemma. I send you my best wishes. So remember the bilocation thing I was talking about earlier where Padre Pio could be in other places at one time. And back in those days when mystical things like this would happen, a lot of times it happened in sleep. It happened in dreams. If you go back to the Bible um, and look at the stories in the Bible, a lot of times these things happened. A lot of times things happened to people when they were sleeping um, and, and came to them in dreams. And remember, this was a different time, um, a different place where things like this were more commonplace as opposed to how everything's drowned out today with technology and all kinds of other garbage. So the nun chalked this up as a coincidence, you know, but she was struck by it, by the dream and the letter that followed the very next day. She wrote to the family and encouraged them to take Gemma to see Padre Pio. And so it was that in 1947, the grandmother took seven-year-old Gemma to San Giovanni Rotunda to see Padre Pio. They were praying and hoping all the while for a miracle. On the trip from Sicily to San Giovanni Rotundo, 
Gemma's eyesight began to mysteriously function. About halfway to their destination, Gemma began to see the sea, a steamship, and she told her grandmother. At Gemma's words, her grandmother, as well as other friends who were accompanying them, all began to pray. Nevertheless, the trip from Sicily to the monastery was very long and difficult. Gemma's grandmother was still preoccupied with the idea of seeking Padre Pio's intercession regarding Gemma's eyesight. At San Giovanni Rotondo, in the midst of a large group of people, Padre Pio singled Gemma out and called her by name. He heard her confession, and even though she made no mention of her blindness, he touched her eyes with the wounded part, the stigmata part, of his hands, tracing the sign of the cross. At the end of the confession, as he blessed her, he said, Be good and saintly. So isn't that something? As she's, you know, the, the, you know, the nun has the dream that Padre Pio comes to her and says, you know, don't worry about it. She'll be fine. And as the girl's making her way, her eyesight's starting to come to her and she's starting to see. But the grandmother's so focused on, we still got to get there. He, we still got to see him. And then when they get there, there's so many people there. There's like thousands of people that would make pilgrimages daily to go to Padre Pio. He was very well known for um, meeting with people and, and, and hearing their confessions and healing people like for 12, 13, 14 hours a day, every day. It just went on and on and on. So, you know, here they, these people are amongst thousands of people and he not only singles Gemma out, sees her and calls her, he calls her out by name to come to him. And bless her little heart, she was so excited to be there in his presence and to talk to him and, and offer confession that she forgot all about the main reason why she was there. I guess because she could see now, you know, a little kid, seven years old, you know, she, her eyesight's no longer a problem for her. So she's done, moved on. She, you know, kids aren't like adults where we hang on to everything. She had moved on. Um, and, but Padre Pio knew, he knew what was going on and he still, you know, did what he did in the dream. He did it physically there. Um, and with, you know, his stigmata and, and, and blessed her eyes, you know, and told her to, to live a saintly life. But then poor little Gemma gets back to her grandmother and this, this is what happens. So the grandmother got upset with Gemma. She was really angry. You know, here we came all this way and you had your opportunity and you blew it. You got up there and you didn't say anything about your eyes. You know, poor, you know, poor Gemma. Could you just imagine everything she's going through? She's now seeing for the first time in her life. Could you imagine just the sensory overload alone of not ever seeing? And all of a sudden now you can see and all of this information is flooding into your mind and your brain and your brain's trying to compute uh, what is going on. Or it could be that when she saw, she saw, because I've seen that a lot of times too in healing is when someone is healed, say, for example, like you've never seen before, when they heal them and they're able to see their mind instantly connects and 
they can interpret everything and there's not that sensory overload. But anyway, regardless of what the situation is here, Gemma's grandmother's going off on her. So again, the grandmother was upset that Gemma had forgotten to ask Padre Pio for the grace of a healing while she was in the confessional. And so she began to cry. Then Gemma became upset and she began to cry as well. And the grandmother went to confession to Padre Pio. And in her own words, she said, I asked the grace for Gemma and I told Padre Pio that Gemma was weeping because in her confession with him, she had forgotten to ask for his grace. I will never forget his soft and tender voice as he answered me with these words. This is Padre Pio consoling the grandmother. Do you have faith, my daughter? The child must not weep and neither must you for the child sees and you know she sees. So the grandmother says, I understood then that Padre Pio was alluding to the sea and the ship Gemma had seen during the trip and that God had used Padre Pio to break through the darkness that covered Gemma's eyes. The same day, Padre Pio gave Gemma her first Holy Communion and again made the sign of the cross over each of her eyes. So he did that once in a dream state or mystical state, however you want to interpret it. And then he also physically did that twice. Okay, so at this point, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there saying, that's malarkey. That, that's, that, that, this, is, this, is, this is made up. This isn't true. Okay, here we go. When Gemma returned to Sicily, her eyes were again examined by a specialist. The doctor uh, tested Gemma held up various objects in front of her, and she was able to see each one of them. She was able to count the doctor's fingers at a distance of 16 feet. Okay, so that answered my question there. How could Gemma count if she hadn't done that before? How could her eyes in her mind work together? Okay, maybe you figure it out. So Gemma, even though without pupils, she still did not have pupils, had eyesight. She could see. The doctor declared that Gemma's eyes were in no condition to see. There was no medical explanation for it. Many doctors from all over Italy requested to examine Gemma's eyes. This extraordinary cure and the prophecy preceding it aroused enormous interest in the Italian press during the summer of 1947. Gemma's sight continued to improve and she was able to go to school, learn how to read and write. She was able to lead a perfectly normal life. Okay, so at that point, she hadn't been gone to school. So how could she count the fingers? See, again, with the cure or the healing, the mind and the eyes work together. It's, it's, it's just, to me, it's just very, very interesting, very astounding. So an author by the name of Clarice Bruno wrote a book called Roads to Padre Pio. She actually met Gemma in May of 1967. And Clarice said that despite the fact that Gemma's eyesight was functioning, she still had those foggy, strange looking eyes that are characteristic of the blind. Clarice told Gemma that she was writing a book about Padre Pio and wanted to include it, her story, uh, as one of the miracle stories. And Gemma, Gemma asked Padre Pio for permission. So she asked Padre Pio for permission to 
you know, consent to share the story. Um, and she did this personally, like actually went to Padre Pio um, in 1967. And this was a year before he passed away. And um, Gemma, due to the sunny and very windy weather, was wearing sunglasses on the day she made the request of Padre Pio. And he commented on it. He said, why? He said, as he passed his hand over her eyes again, are you wearing glasses? You see very well. <laughs> so again, he, he kind of made like a little joke, but uh, Padre Pio did give his authorization and, and okay for and consent for Gemma to share her story, which I thought was very nice of Gemma to, to ask, you know, if that would be okay. So there's another um, author by the name of Father John Shug who wrote a book called A Padre Pio Profile. He also met Gemma and interviewed her, and she testified. He testified that she looks like a blind person. Her eyes are sallow and lustrous, lusterless, but there is no doubt she can see. I saw her reach for a phone book, check a number, and dial the number without groping. But while doctors could not all come to consensus on the subject of Gemma and her medical condition, the facts that can be definitely established are these. Number one, she was born with a severe congenital defect of the eyes, both of her eyes. Two, before the prayers of Padre Pio were enlisted, her vision was either quite defective and also altogether non-existent. And three, afterward, though the physical structure of her eyes remained unchanged, Gemma was able to see normally, even though officially classified as legally blind. So what must be the conclusion of this simply that while Gemma and her grandmother were traveling to San Giovanni Rotunda to ask for healing grace, the grace came to them through the intercession of Padre Pio's prayers before they had even arrived at their destination. God, for his own mysterious reasons, had wanted it to happen this way. Gemma has since traveled the world telling her story. So that was the second story. And of course, I will have a link to this article as well uh, in the show notes. And check it out because there's pictures of Gemma in there where you can actually see her eyes in this, this state that they were all like going crazy over or being goofy over. In March of 2008, Padre Pio's body was exhumed and was found to be in perfect condition. Now, do note that he was embalmed and a lot of his internal organs were removed after he passed away in 1968. Um, but they found the body, according to the church, as an incorrupt, meaning, you know, intact, perfectly preserved uh, body. You know, I leave that up to you to decide if you believe in that or not. But I will have uh, a video of uh, St. Padre Pio's body. Uh, on exhibition that you can actually view that you can see the video of it um, in the show notes. Also, I wanted to add that if you like what I'm talking about or what I talked about today about St. Padre Pio and you've got the itch or urge to have more information, I highly recommend Father Chris Alar. Um, he is a priest with the National Shrine of Divine Mercy. He gave an amazing lecture on St. Padre Pio um, a few weeks ago, and I will have a link to that as well in the show notes. 
This week's song of the week is by Chris Tomlin called I Can See. I think it's pretty appropriate for especially the second story that we shared here. And I hope you've all really enjoyed uh, the story of Padre Pio. And there's so much more to Padre Pio and there's so many books on him. Um, And as I said, in the show notes, I'll have some links in there for some information. uh, If you guys want to check out the articles or check out more on Padre Pio. And also, there will be a link to the song of the week as well in the show notes. I'm always open to suggestions for the show, and you're always welcome to contact me. There's two ways you can do that. You can contact me through email at faithinmorepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach me through anchor.fm at anchor.fm slash faith dash and dash more. There's always links to these contacts in the description of each podcast. If you like the show, Be sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really like the show, please feel free to share it with your friends. Thank you all so very much for tuning in and listening. I'm so looking forward to seeing you all again. But until then, lots of love and blessings to each of you. 